0: Amen. Stand in awe to see what God has allowed mankind to experience. Walking on the moon, I mean, wow, that's amazing. I wasn't here 50 years ago. I know that's hard for you to believe. All my gray hairs, but uh, that is an amazing feat. And uh, we, hopefully that, that's something that can inspire us. Uh, but uh, that picture of the earth, you know, the, vi- the visual of earth from the moon is just amazing to me to be able to see that for the first time. Uh, I kind of wish I was alive at that time to experience it. Um, So today we're going to continue our Draw Near to God series. And uh, we've been talking uh, a little bit lately uh, about really what it means to Kind of live for live for God, you know. We have to choose that. That's not we just don't wake up in the morning and it just comes naturally to us. We have to make choices to, to kind of some attitudes and actions that we have to kind of put on and some we got to take off, right? We and this is a metaphor that's used throughout the scriptures. And that's what we've been talking about lately if you're visiting with us. Uh, we're, we're trying our best to live this out. We're not just trying to show up on Sunday, hear something, and go home. We're trying to figure out how can I live this out during the week? How can I put on love? How can I clothe myself? You know, with Christ. How can I put on the new self and get rid of that stuff that doesn't help? What can I do to build community, not to, con- to destroy community? That's what we're all about. And uh, so hopefully we can continue to, to study this out. Today's going to be kind of the last installment of this kind of put on and take off. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, we're striving to live our lives the way God prescribes, Okay. It's not about what we feel, what we think, our wisdom. We can't can't start there. We got to start with God, work our way down to us. Not start with us, work our way up to what we think God wants for our lives. We have to strive to live our lives, you know, in the way God prescribes. That's our our heart. Today we're going to talk about some specific roles that God has laid out in Scripture. And how we are to put on those roles in life. And i tell you what, if you don't, if you're not really mentally ready, you know, this might challenge you today. All right? Amen. I hope you get challenged when you come to church. I hope I can get challenged. So let's pray and let's pray for this morning to help us spiritually uh, engage and help those of us that are in these life stages to really take it to heart. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we do stand in awe of who you are. And we want to, but we want to have a submission mindset right now, to submit ourselves to you, Father, to humbly bow down to you, even if we aren't physically bowing down, to emotionally bow down, to have a posture of humility as we open up the scriptures. Father, we believe that you have given us the roles on how to live this life. We believe the scriptures show us the way uh, to please you. Uh, But, Father, we know that we cannot live the the life that you want us to live based on our own good looks or our great personalities. It comes down to whether we're going to allow your spirit to really govern how we live this life. Help us this morning, God, to engage the scriptures and help us to have a heart of obedience. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So as I was studying this out, I said, you know, both. Colossians and Ephesians are the two books that we've been kind of looking at because they have parallel passages. They talk about similar things. Paul wrote them in, in you know, they're called prison epistles. He wrote them from prison. Um, Same author, similar contexts. And so we've been looking at both Colossians and Ephesians. And so we're going to, like I said, we're going to look at some specific roles in a minute that the scriptures talk about. But in both instances, before Paul starts getting all specific, he really hones in on something very important in both of these passages. One of them is in Colossians chapter 1. And he talks about, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. All right, so what's important here, what I want to stress is, The whole aspect of how do we get to understand how do we live this life? It's through the Spirit. The Spirit gives us the understanding. It's not our great thinking. It's not our society. We cannot overlook the importance of God's Spirit giving us the wisdom, the understanding, the knowledge, so that we can even know how to live a life that pleases God. And then we can bear the Spirit's fruit. Not just our great personality, but bear the Spirit's fruit. And grow in a personal relationship with God. Man, that's a beautiful cycle of how to live this life. How do we understand the word of God? Actually, God's spirit helps us understand the word of God. How do we live the life? How do we understand how to apply the word of God? The, God's spirit helps us to apply the word of God. That, that's clear. Well, how, how do we bear love? How do we become loving, patient people? God's spirit within us bears that fruit. And then how do we really get to know God on a personal level? Because the spirit is personal. This is all from God's spirit. And I think sometimes we overlook that and we just think, okay, what do I need to do? What what do I need to do? You need to let yourself be governed by God's spirit is what we need to do. Ephesians, similar things. Ephesians, it talks about a lot of stuff. And then he says, you know, you got to be careful, again, how you live, right? It's important how we live. It's not just what we think. It's how we live. Don't be unwise, right? But be wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You see these parallels again. Don't get drunk on wine. That leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. Be governed by God's Spirit. If you don't get that, you're not going to get the rest of what I'm going to say. It's not going to make any sense. And you're just going to be like, what's the point? The point is we have got to allow ourselves to be controlled by God's Spirit. And, that, and that's not just something just because we wake up. Well, how does that happen? Well, here's the deal. We believe at this church that the Holy Spirit is given to us. It's not something that we just get. We don't just pray a prayer and just, oh, have one emotional moment. We believe that there is a process to conversion, okay? And you have, it, the faith response includes repentance and baptism that's the part of the faith response and there is an indwelling of god's spirit and then he gives you a new birth a birth from above that you can't get from your mama and your daddy you got to get it from the father in heaven okay it's a it's a new spiritual birth of the spirit that is how we live this life not based on your good intellect you got to figure that out or else or else man everything in the bible is like whatever it's just a philosophy and i know you don't believe that So simple, simple. God, we have to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And here's the other thing, and I've said this before, but it's funny every time I say it, somebody new comes up to me. Man, thanks for saying that. Someone keeps saying it. Amen. Oh, right, here we go. Before you open your Bible, all right, pray. Pray before you open your Bible. Specifically, pray <laughs> to. Yield yourself to whatever God's Spirit wants to give you that morning from the Word. Right now, I'm, I'm doing my Bible in the year. I happen to be in the Gospel of John. That's my favorite gospel. You know how many times I've read the Gospel of John in 20 whatever years I've been a Christian? A lot. You know how many times I've read John chapter 1? Oh, my goodness. A lot. But you know what I did this time? God, I'm gonna pr- I, I probably could just say this from memory for the most part, but I don't want to assume that I've figured out everything from John chapter 1 even though I've read it for 20 years. I want to yield myself to this morning, this moment. I want you to be in control of this time in your word, not me. So I I, I submit to you this time. I think we should all pray those types of prayers. Pray for Christ to be formed in you as you read, not just for you to be informed, right? Let's Let's just not be those people that just collect nuggets of wisdom, right? Ask for the Spirit to do some renovation in you. But again, don't, don't just assume it's going to happen. Ask the Spirit for it before you open your Bible and have your quiet time. Is this, what, is this your practice? And it doesn't have to be these exact words, but something that gets you emotionally, mentally engaged, asking for God's Spirit to work. And pray that you'll obey what you read and not just observe the words on the page, right? Because that's how we can sometimes be. Again, we can be those, those, those nugget People. We just want nuggets. We want to be able to say the cool thing that we heard. Yeah, but are we obeying it? What's, what's the point, right? But again, the Spirit is, is who allows us to have that happen. And so with all of that in mind, let's get into what the Scriptures talk about, some different kind of household roles in the Scriptures. Amen, right? All right? And, uh, and the first I want to talk about is husbands. Amen? All right. Husbands, of which I, I'm one, right? Some, some of you are husbands in here. What does the scriptures call husbands to do? What's the first word? Hmm. How are we doing? Love. Love your wives. Don't be harsh with them. Colossians says it. Ephesians talks about love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. I did not learn that growing up. Okay, I didn't. Um, You know, my parents were divorced when I was young, so I, I didn't really grow up with a dad in the home. Uh, my dad wasn't a, a believer in Jesus. I had many friends, and many of my friends were divorced situations too, and just had a lot. And I had one of my favorite high school coaches, basketball coaches, I'll never forget. He sat me down and said, Jeff, whatever you do, bro, don't get married. Just don't don't get married. And, and, and we were like close, you know. I, I mean, basketball coach, and I was one of, you know, decent players, whatever. We spent a lot of time together. And so I was in his home. I mean, I saw his marriage, I, 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 and it wasn't Warm and fuzzy. And, and I couldn't understand. He's a nice guy, you know, seemed like a nice woman, you know, pretty, whatever. And surely they could figure it out. I mean, he would over and over again just be so upset with interactions with his wife. But that's but that's what I grew up with. So this stuff here, I didn't learn this just in my culture, just growing up, okay. Husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh. Give, you know, love as Christ loved the church. Let's look at this a little little bit more uh, there's a great uh series called smart home I got a lot of this you know got, I always try to give credit you know where I get where I get inspired but um what kind of love well singular what, what does that mean it means you love your wife you understand what I'm saying not somebody else's wife <laughs> love your wife all right that's that's your role husband you you love your own wife you think that's wow that's an obvious one in some cultures it's not And even think about the time frame this is written, Greco-Roman world. I mean, hey, love your wife. It's a singular love. It's exclusive, right? And, And I read this quote, you know, a happy man marries the woman he loves. A happier man loves the woman he marries. Love your wife, right? Just her. Go all out in your love for her. That's that's what some translations talk about. And I appreciate how the scripture says, yeah, love your wife, because, guys, we can come up with a lot of different definitions of love. But I appreciate the wonderful qualifier, as Christ loved the church, right? Because if if we just say love your wife, you know how we husbands are. We just go immediately to the things that we naturally do well. You know, whatever that is in in your marriage, you just naturally go there. Well, I'm obviously loving my wife because I did this and I did that and I did this right? No, you got to figure out, love as Christ loved the church. What kind of love is that? Sacrificial, isn't it? It's a sacrificial love. Jesus gave up his life for the church. And here's the other thing about Jesus. And in, in, uh, If you have the King James Version of the Bible, if you like go to John 15, Interestingly, if you go to John 15, that famous passage where you know Jesus says, I am the I am the true vine and my father is the gardener, right? If you have the King James Version, you know what it'll say right there? It says, you know, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. What? Husbandman? Because the word husband really has its origin in like a gardening farming concept. He's the, he's the cultivator, a nurturer. He gardens. He tills the soil. He makes sure things are nurtured and grow. That's the role of a husband, right? He sacrifices to to make his wife beautiful and and, and build her up, right? That's the heart. And and, and when we talk about Jesus, let's not get overly theological. Let's keep it real. Jesus' love for the church was massively sacrificial. He gave his very life, okay? He hung on that cross. He he took what he didn't even deserve. Okay? That's what Jesus was willing to do for the church. All right? And so we have to figure out how to do that for our wives in the daily living out of what it's all about. It's a sanctifying love. What is that? That's a fancy Bible word. I know. But really it's set apart. It's We're supposed to set our wives apart, help them spiritually grow. That's what we're all about. It's sensitive. Hey, if you love your own body, the Bible Bible says husbands, you love your own body. You know how to take care of yourself. Take care of your wife. Nurture her. And don't just wait until at the end of the night to be all sensitive, right? That's not what it's all about. You know, and some of us, I'll take a bullet for my wife. That's great, bro. I bet you would. But how about doing the dishes? How about picking up the kids every now and then, you know what I'm saying? Why does it have to be the big dramatic thing, right? What about the daily? What about sensitive to the needs, right, of of, of your wife? It should be shatter-proof, right? And and this is what I appreciate also in Ephesians 5. Notice what, what, uh, what the scripture reads here in Ephesians 5. It says, In verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And if you notice, that is in quotation marks in Ephesians 5. Why is that in quotation marks? Because he's quoting something from Genesis 2. Okay? He's quoting something from Genesis 2. Jesus, even when he's, talked, when he's asked questions about marriage, he quotes Genesis as well, if you remember. So what, what does that tell you? You know what it tells? I'll tell you what is interesting to me about that. Is that here's Paul writing in the whatever first century, and he's talking about the institution of marriage, but he refers back to something that was written 1,500 years-ish ago, whatever the time. But it was a long time before, but it still holds true. And so here's the deal. It's 2019. And the institution of marriage, guess what? We can still refer back to the same passages. These scriptures are not irrelevant or outdated. They never will be. Cultures change. People's viewpoints change about men or women or this or that. But when you talk about scriptural biblical marriage, you can still go back to Genesis and get that thing figured out. Doesn't matter what culture it is. Because every culture, don't you think there were cultural norms that were going on in this time? But Paul still said, I'm still going to quote the same stuff. 1,500 years ago it was written. I don't care. This was written, what, 2,000 years ago? We can still quote this here because this wisdom from the Spirit is still applicable to marriage today. So don't let this cultural waves of thinking influence how you look at just Simple things in the scriptures about what it means to be married. Nothing should be able to shatter the bond. The two become one. That's a powerful metaphor in many different ways. And we don't have time to go into every single way that that plays itself out. But shouldn't be able to to, to really break a, a truly Christian marriage in this way. And then he goes at the end. It's a profound mystery. This whole thing about marriage. You know what? But I'm talking about Christ and the church. So that's what I mean by showcase. Marriage isn't only, right, for two people who find each other and want to get married. There's something about marriage that is supposed to help us see what Jesus and the church is all about. Right? You go, well, how does that work? It is, it's kind of mysterious. It's not an easy one to figure out sometimes. But, man, some people go, I don't understand church. Why do we even need church, whatever? You know, for me, a lot, church, okay, Bob and Jackie Keene. I can learn a lot from that marriage. It showed me a lot. I learned a lot about the love. I've learned a lot about love. I learned a lot about loyalty. I learned a lot about serving. I learned a lot about putting somebody else's needs first. I, I mean, I, I learned a lot just by looking at Bob and Jackie Keene's marriage. So I believe, yeah, I believe a Christian marriage is powerful because not, it's not just about the two people. It's about what it can show the world, what, what marriage is all about, and what Jesus and the church is all about. That's what this world needs. It needs real-life examples, Right? And it is a mystery. I mean, man, I mean, this is uh, it's about serving. How did, how did Jesus serve? He served. He, he, he gave himself up. This is what it's about, Christ and the church. You know, husbands, we, we got to learn these lessons because this world is not teaching us these lessons, right? And we can go back in history and look at how women were treated. And the sad thing is, in some ways, they're still going on, right? But let's look at some historical perspective, right? Like in the Greco-Roman times, women really had no public roles. You know, there were no, like, women mayors. That was, wow, unheard of. No public roles, not even considered citizens. They'd have a census. They wouldn't even count the women. This this is the time frame when when Paul's writing this stuff, right? The wife, you know, she wasn't equal to her husband as a a person or in any other way. Marriage was more contractual. It was a a transaction. Children and wives, I mean, yeah, they're just, they're, they're supposed to obey the man. And his needs and concerns dominated the household. And the wife existed to fulfill those needs and serve him. He said, Jeff, I thought you were talking about Greco-Roman times. Some people still think this way, right? I even found that, that picture. It was cracking me up. I'm like, wow, look at that ad. You know, show her it's a man's world. And she's serving him food in the bed and he's just sitting there. I mean, hey, to some, that's, that's the view uh, of what a wife is supposed to be. Even in Jewish culture, which had a high view, they had a high view of marriage, right? But they had a low, really, view of women in a lot of ways in their famous prayer. Thank you, God, that you did not make me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That was a prayer. And, 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 and it's written in, the, in, in many Jewish, you know, you can look historically. And that's even why many say Paul chose these categories in the Scripture, because he knew it was so familiar with the people. But just think about it. This is This is the Jewish culture, which is supposed to even elevate the marriage, but still the, the women were relegated to a, a different role. And so, how do we understand the wife's role? Because guess what? The husbands got a lot more, they got a lot more words that, they, that are given to the husbands. The wives don't get many words, right? But they do get one word that no one likes in this day and age, right? What's that word? Submit, right? So, this is where I start doing this, right? Well, it really doesn't. I mean, you know, really, you don't, you know, you're supposed to, it's okay, you know, right? That's what I'm supposed to do, right? You know, just kind of run away from it. And Moving on to the next topic, you know I mean? It's a lot easier to do that, right? It's easy to kind of backpedal. Let's just admit, let's just all agree to this. It means something. <laughs> you know, right? It means something. All right? And, and, and somebody might be right and somebody might be wrong. Let's agree to this. You could Google it right now, and you could probably find people that believe in Jesus that have 50 different views of what that word means. Do you agree with that? Respectable, put together great presentations, and one side might say, this is what it means. The other side says it means the exact opposite, right? So you got, you got to figure out. It means something. So you got to figure out what that means in your conviction. But since y'all pay me all these big bucks, I guess I'm supposed to figure out how to explain all this stuff. But uh, I, do think, I do think it's important that we realize submission does not mean inferiority. It, it just doesn't. Okay? And that's huge. And, and the other thing we got to remember is scripturally, Ephesians 5.21, you're supposed to submit to one another. There's a mutual submission which sets the tone for everything. And here's what I do think. I think in many respects, even in the church, in some ways, I think we probably have over the years, to our detriment, uh, not really elevated the way the scriptures talk about how women, there's a mutuality there. And I think, I think you know, we, we got to be careful. And sometimes we'll say, well, look at Adam and Eve and, you know, the, the woman was made from the man. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. But we got to even be careful with that story. <laughs> Because I, I really do believe that that story is, is more talking about how amazing it is that there's a kinship between two humans that can have a human relationship as opposed to what Adam had with the animal kingdom. I think that's more of what, what it's getting at. So when he says, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones, wow, that's amazing. That, that phrase, I believe, when you study that phrase in the rest of Scripture, it really talks about kinship, right? Right? And I think it's a great thing for you to study yourself, right? Uh, and, so, and so I think we got to be careful. I think God had a beautiful mutuality with man and woman uh, that sometimes we miss. And uh, we, we call men to lead in, in such a way that we can, be, we can miss the fact that there's a mutuality there, you know, that, uh, for women, that, we, that men can submit to women as well. And here's the other thing. If you're a Christian, you better be submitting to a lot of things. Come on, come on. Just in general. I don't care who you are. I mean, Jesus, he submitted to his mom and dad. He was, you know, he's son of God, but he still submitted. He submitted to the Pharisees. Hey, you got you to gotta listen to what they say. You know, hey, what they're saying is good stuff. Now, what they do, I don't know, but what they're saying, put, you got to put yourself. on. Hebrews talks about, hey, you got to submit yourself to leadership in the church. Romans talks about the government. Hey, submit you, if you're a Christian, you got to figure out how to submit. Submit to God's The Lord, hello, Lord. That means that you submit to Jesus. We, we should be just, that, that concept to us should be just, yeah, I'm a Christian. I, I have to learn how to submit. I have to learn how to be like Jesus, Philippians 2. My attitude should be like Jesus. In fact, I even consider other needs better than my, my own, right? Yeah. I'm willing to do that because of Jesus. So if we're Christians, this, this word shouldn't, like, freak us out. And I think that when when it talks about wives submitting husbands, I think there's something that is powerful here for for women because God's way was so different than what we just talked about in the Roman, Greco-Roman times. I mean, it transformed women from unimportant non-citizens to a person of intrinsic worth and value. What do I mean by that is, first of all, they're addressed directly in the letter. This is, these are people that have no rights. They're not considered anything. But Paul literally addresses them directly in the letter. You have a role to fulfill. You have a role. And it's not, it, 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 you have value in and of yourself. I think we miss that sometime. Instead of the husband demanding the wife meet his needs, he needs to live for her. It's revol- revolutionary in that day and age. For, for somebody to get up in the church there and read that, you know, husbands, you need to lay your life down for, for your wife. You need to serve her. You need to make her. There's a lot of guys like, what in the world is going on here? And the wife's only got like three things? <laughs> Gee whiz, you know. Rather than keeping her under, he's got to lift her up. The husband serves by being a Christ-like loving leader. And the wife serves in response, in response of submission first to Jesus and then to the husband. Jesus is the head of every marriage. Because both are supposed to submit to him first. You know, I read this quote. It's, you probably won't be able to read it. It's long, but, you know, sometimes it just makes sense to read something. And this, this kind of helped me process some things uh, that I read. The Christian attitude toward authority and submission is drastically opposed to the perceptions of the world, which we see the one in authority as exalted and the other as debased. There, each person's value is determined by the position he holds. But in Christ's church, that whole pattern is rejected. Each person's value exists apart from his role. The slave is just as important to God as the master. The child is the parent. The woman as the man. It is simply that one who is a slave has a different kind of opportunity to serve than does the master. The Christian view of authority and submission shifts the focus completely from power to service. How freeing it is to realize that my worth and value as a person rests on who I am in Christ. And that my position in this world simply defines my opportunities to serve. Again, I believe God recognized that this world is set up a certain way. God recognized that there was uh, uh, slavery, right, in the time he wrote. He couldn't just abolish it in one fell swoop. So he said, this is how you operate. When you submit to Christ, this is how you operate in a master-slave situation. You both have value in God's eyes. Actually, you're both equal in God's eyes. But slave, this is how you can serve your master in that situation. And a master, you actually have responsibilities towards a slave. That is revolutionary revolutionary wife you might not be a citizen you might have no say in anything but in a marriage you actually have a role you can willingly willingly voluntarily submit yourself to the husband because of your faith in christ you bring that to the marriage because the marriage the the church the world needs to see how things work with the church you have a role you're not subservient it's powerful And singles, you say, well, what about us? Why did you talk only about married people? Because I've talked about singles a lot in my life. But I just want to remind you of this. Christian marriage isn't the only thing that's a beautiful witness for, for who God is, right? Don't forget this, singles. Christian singleness is a testimony to the complete sufficiency of Christ for the present age. And it gives visible witness to the hope of eternal inheritance that is to come. So don't just downplay the single life. And do I need to say anything else? Jesus was single. He wasn't incomplete. He wasn't. So our culture, again, messes that up. It messes it up. Oftentimes we pray, God, our, you know, your kingdom come. When God's kingdom fully comes, fully, we have, a, we have a taste of it. But when it fully comes, there will be no slave or free. There will be no, where are you from? Are you Greek? Are you Scythian? Are you American? There won't be any of that. There won't be any male, female. All these distinctions that we use to create stratifications and discriminations, when God's kingdom ultimately comes, that stuff won't even really be in existence. We won't even need to be talking about these roles in this way. There won't even be people given in marriage and all that stuff. It'll be a different, whole different realm. But while we're in this world, let us allow Jesus to set the tone for how we operate in the structures that are in the world that we can't change today fully. But when God's kingdom fully comes, wow, we'll show the world something powerful. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just hope that we can be humble. Submit ourselves to you first and foremost. And Father, I pray that as husbands that we can love our wives the way the scriptures teach. that Wives can submit to you first, Father, to their husbands and provide that in their marriage. I pray that children can obey their parents. I pray that single people can see the value that they have in you and not feel second class, but feel the same sense of worth because of who you are. Father, help these truths to penetrate our hearts and help us as we leave to actually live them out so that the rest of the world can understand how powerful you are. We pray all this in the name of our Lord, whom we submit to, Jesus. Amen. Amen.